Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the programme this week, we discuss the issue of Super Rugby contracting after Ma'a Nonu walked away from a handshake deal with the Blues to join the Highlanders, and we catch up with the Blues' former coach Pat Lamb to discuss his latest assignment. We find out why the outgoing Crusaders assistant coach and former All Black Daryl Gibson has chosen to leave the Super Rugby franchise. We talk to the New Zealand triathlon coach Greg Frayne ahead of the triathlon grand final in Auckland. We speak to the ASB Tennis Classic Tournament director about their big enough signing and the challenges the Auckland event faces and we find out more about the return of the Australian V8 supercars to Puke Kohe from the organisation's executive chairman Tony Cochrane. The Blues coach Sir John Kerwin has fired a shot at the Super Rugby contracting process after Ma'a Nonu assured him he'd be playing for the Blues next year before the All Black midfielder announced at the 11th hour that he'll be playing for the Highlanders in 2013. Kerwin says Nonu's last minute change of heart has left the Blues in the lurch but under the current contracting system there's nothing he can do about it. Thinking that I was getting a player three and a half weeks ago and other players being contracted or me making decisions with people's lives and not signing guys or moving guys to other things because I thought I had that so that's been the disappointing thing for me and this is not personal against Ma, this is a system that's happened so I think what you need to do is talk to uh, the NZRFU about how the contracting system works so you know that's just something that I think needs to be addressed. Kerwin says Nonu's shock decision to walk away from a handshake deal with the Blues will hurt his side. Sir John says he had his whole squad sorted around having Nonu at the franchise, and so the all-black midfielder's decision has had a ripple-down effect that's disrupted his recruitment process. Kerwin says Nonu went back on his word to stay at the Auckland franchise. We had the whole team and the whole backup done, and then with this, it's like a domino effect, it topples, especially when you thought he was coming. So I've just had to spend the last three days trying to put all those jigsaws in place and we've got some real gaps in experience so what do we do go young or do we say okay we need to get someone with experience and where is that the Blues have now lost some direction in their inside backs with Gareth Anscombe and Michael Hobbs already cast off while halfback LB Mathewson is heading to the western force Meanwhile, Radio New Zealand International's Vinnie Wiley caught up with a man who knows all about having problems at the Blues, this year's former coach, Pat Lamb. Lamb will join the Manu Samoa coaching team for next month's European tour, and he's excited about the fresh challenge. Yeah, it's a real honour to, uh, you know, to be asked to be involved and, uh, you know, to put something back to a team that, uh, you know, was pretty special to me and, uh, you know, um, had a good career with Manu Samoa as a player, so to go back as part of the coaching group and, and help out on a pretty important tour is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a privilege. When would you say your last official involvement was with Manu Samoa? Yeah, 1999 as the captain after the World Cup, uh, I retired from Samoa rugby and um, and that was it. And then really through my time of walking in the Blues, uh, you know, and so forth, nothing official, just chat with the coaches and 
um, and obviously just supported the team from afar. So uh, to be involved on, on this end of year tour is uh, pretty exciting for me. And uh, you're listed there as an attack and mentor there. So how, how would you sort of describe or what sort of Stephen said to you about what sort of role he would like you to have with the boys? Yeah, I mean, he's asked me to look at team attack. and um, uh, But, you know, the whole mentor side, I, I suppose he spoke to me as, as ex-captain and player and, you know, and be coaching professionally as well. Uh, to work in with the with the group and help Stephen and and um, wherever I can and, and the other coaches and um, and when you go away on a tour like this I spent quite a few of these tours it's I suppose it's similar in the role that Brian Williams had when he was technical advisor if you like of the group uh, just pass on any experience and knowledge and help out wherever you can. Uh, and of course, you'd be familiar with some of these guys from your time in the Auckland and Blues scene, and also, um, you know, you've coached a couple of those Pacific Islands sort of uh, composite teams in recent years as well. So, a lot of these guys yeah. won't be new to you. Yeah, they won't be new. There's, uh, you know, there's some quality players there, and you know, um, you know, at the moment, Samoa since tenth in the world rankings, and as everyone knows, in the um, when they do the World Cup draw and the seedings, that top eight's crucial in December. And I think by calculations, if we can, we got Canada. Wales and France. If we can win two out of the three games, you know, we've got a real chance of slipping into the top eight. So it's a big challenge. And, um, you know, certainly Wales and France are the two form teams in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. You know, current Grand Slam champions and, and you know, the French World Cup finalists. So it's a, it's a massive uh, challenge, but something that uh, Samoa looks forward to. And I'm certainly looking forward to go back to Wales, my favourite stomping ground. Yeah, what's it been like, obviously, after being, you know, year after year in, in a very demanding role like that to sort of just have a few months off to sort of take check and relax and hang with the family and that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. It's been great. I've become a bit of a cook. I couldn't cook anything except eggs and bacon before, but I've uh, taken on the challenge of cooking and I'm really enjoying that and just spending time with my wife and the kids at school and helping out at school. I'm a teacher, so I've been in and, and done some classes with uh, at my kids' school. So I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the break and it's been... Uh, you know, uh, for and enjoy, just step back and relax. Um, and, and in terms of the coaching team that you're a part of, I mean, obviously Stephen in charge there, Tom Coventry, who's with the Chiefs and has a long history in New Zealand and helped out at the World Cup last year, Greg Smith, uh, Daryl Sewer. So there, there's quite a list of people there. It's, uh, you know, qu- there's quite a lot of experience in that coaching panel. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, we saw with the Chiefs and we saw with the All Blacks and, you know, and the Bulls and the Reds who won it before Super Rugby is, um, you know, the more coaches, particularly quality coaches, you know, it's particularly as you've got big groups of players, and it's very difficult, you know, and I certainly, that's one of the big lessons I learned from the Blues, only having one assistant coach was tough, you know, um, with so many players, and, you know, the more you have in the group, uh, if the group all get on well and they all got their clear responsibilities and support the head coach, you know, it's certainly the way to go, and um, you look at any successful team, uh, you, you go back and look at their uh, their coaching staff. So, you know, I'm just, again, privileged to be part of it. Do you think you'll have any other role in the next few months, Pat? Is, is there anything you do have that you have been looking at? Oh, yeah, there's things there, but again, I don't want to rush anything. You know, I've had, uh, I want to make sure that the next role I go into is the right role and obviously the family and particularly if it's overseas. So, you know, just taking my time and, and uh, certainly let you, you'll find out when I do sign something. Pat Lamb speaking to Vinnie Wiley. The Crusaders assistant coach Daryl Gibson resigned from the Super Rugby franchise this week, unhappy with the new role he had been given. Last month, the Crusaders announced a change to their coaching structure with Gibson offered a defensive role, while an attack coach was to be confirmed. Gibson says he's taken some time to assess his situation and has come to the conclusion that the new position is not where his immediate future lies. He's now looking at options both here and overseas. Barry Guy asked him why. 
Essentially, the uh, Crusaders have, have gone through a coaching restructure, and the role that I was uh, asked to fulfil was something that uh, doesn't suit me. So I decided that uh, in the best interests of um, the team that I uh, move on. Was it a, it appeared to be a, a, sort of a diminished sort of role? Yeah, um, certainly it's not on the side of the, side of the ball that I'd really like. Um, obviously, my future uh, ambitions are to, to remain a backs coach, and, and certainly that's something where I want to head in the future. And, uh, you know, to be honest, that role didn't really suit me right here and now. I, I'm just sort of wondering, rugby coaches within New Zealand, I mean, there's possibly not, not that many... I imagine this was quite a tough decision to come to, was it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's something um, that I, I certainly took a long time deliberating over and, and a decision I haven't taken lightly. Um, obviously, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time at the Crusaders and I'm very grateful for the opportunity I've been given. And you know, It's really time now for me to um, you know, look for another opportunity somewhere and, and really um, further my career uh, somewhere else. So, so it is a, a, a gutsy call, but one that you feel you know you sort of had to make. You know, you, you couldn't just accept a role. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I could remain in the job and, and be perfectly happy and bounce out out to uh, you know, bounce out of bed in the mornings and be really enthusiastic about my role. So I felt um, you know, rather than end up you know a bitter and frustrated employee, it's better just to uh, to move on, shake hands, and uh, look for other things. Was it disappointing? I suppose that they did restructure. Yeah, it's obviously the uh, you know the Crusaders signalled their intention. It was something that they felt um, after a lengthy review was uh, the way forward, and uh, you know I totally respect that. That's um, you know the decisions for the organisation, and um, you know as I said, it, it's a, a role that uh, when offered to me, I uh, reflected on, and it was something that uh, I decided wasn't for me. What are your options, though? Are you you have the uh, Maori All Blacks, of course, but I mean uh, beyond that. Beyond that, um, you know, you can say I'm in between jobs. I'm, you know, obviously going to be looking and, and be proactive and, and really go out there and um, have a good look around and, and take my time and, and make sure I, I get the role that's uh, right for me. Do you think there might be something in New Zealand? Well, uh, you know, it's something I'll look at uh, at the moment. You know, I know I've got. Uh, the Maori Tour coming up, and that's certainly going to take my focus. But then uh, after that, you know, just have a, a scour around, uh, you know, the global world and, and see what's out there. I, I imagine uh, your position is like perhaps many of those that uh, work and may and may go out of the workforce in some way. It, it's does it feel sort of daunting or you know uh, unsure about your future? Yeah, I'm quite positive about my future. I think, um, you know, the four years at uh, the Crusaders really um, stood me in good stead. You know, I've, I've learned plenty, I've made mistakes, and now I think it's time for me to, um, you know, move on from being an assistant coach and, and really seek a, a head coaching role and, and further my development there. Would that, uh, would you consider perhaps a, an a, a NPC type position? Oh, sure. Obviously, uh, I'm never going to. Um, you know, turn down an opportunity for a, for a job, um, and, and you know, history shows that there are typically uh, ITM Cup jobs up for grabs um, coming up once all reviews are done. And then also, uh, you know, looking further afield uh, up into the UK market and, and perhaps um, even South Africa and Australia. So certainly, uh, you know, I'm no hurry to, to rush that decision. I, I want to take a little bit of time and, and be patient, make sure I, I land a role that uh, will be right for me. Of course, you've had 
time overseas, uh, you know, that may help you in some way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know the UK well. Um, spent seven seasons up there, so I, I know what to expect and just um, what a marathon season that they uh, you know, are required to perform in. So certainly, um, you know, that's one area that I'm, I'm very um, um, sort of knowledgeable on and, and know well. So again, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, after December 1st, I have um, no job as yet. So certainly plenty of time to uh, ponder and, and calculate my next move. You've had four years at uh, the Crusaders in, the, in that position. Uh, what do you perhaps take from that or, you know, how perhaps has that helped you? Well, I think um, being involved with the, the caliber of player here has, has been really special. I think um, you know it, it's a wonderful franchise to be part of, and you know I've had the, the pleasure of being a, both a player and a coach here, and it's something um, you know it's very special. And, and I'm pleased with my contribution over the years. Although we haven't quite cracked um, you know um, earning a title, I think uh, we've come very close, and it shows me just how difficult it is to win uh, this competition. I suppose also the professionalism within New Zealand rugby and Crusaders rugby. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've learned a great deal um, you know, around the culture and, and leadership and just being amongst uh, good players. It really is a you know, privilege to, to coach them and certainly it was something that I will miss uh, when I leave. Daryl Gibson speaking to Barry Guy. The weekend's triathlon grand final in Auckland is the biggest sports event here since the Rugby World Cup and with a cumulative 25 million viewers predicted it could be even bigger. We heard last week about the logistics of the event which is a massive undertaking involving closing down a large part of central Auckland and the waterfront for the racing. But behind the scenes there's change coming for triathlon New Zealand after a poor Olympics with no medals. The elite women's athlete Debbie Tanner is retiring and the top two men Bevan Doherty and Chris Gemmell are both 35 and to calling it a day on the ITU World Series circuit, though Doherty's determined to compete in the longer form Ironman series and won't rule out the odd triathlon. So where does this leave the future for New Zealand triathlon? Richard Wayne spoke to the national coach Greg Frayne ahead of the grand final and asked if it's the end of an era. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, like Chris and, uh, you know, we've been so fortunate to have Chris and Bevan. They've, they've set up our program and it made it easy for us, especially Bevan in particular, it made it easy for us over the last four years to have Bevan. And then, you know, we were fortunate to have Andrea come through as well, which has sort of, you know, just reinforced the, the level that triathlon is seen by New Zealand public and in the world scene. So we've been extremely fortunate. But, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's passing the baton, that's for sure. They will still be around and we'll still, you know, get in touch with them often. But, yeah, they won't be doing the ITU thing so much. It has been a, a pretty golden period for, for New Zealand with obviously Hamish Carter as well. Are they one-offs or is there a, a chance of a more dynastic approach in triathlon? Well, they weren't one-offs because I, I think what they did, they did just, uh, it, it evolved like that and I, without them knowing um, that they were actually doing it, they were setting up exactly what we're trying to do now. Because they did it so well, um, we ended up with a bit of a golf and we've had sort of the last four years have been, you know, we haven't had someone following through and so one of the things we tried to do in the last four years is develop a, you know, a third male coming through and out behind Bevan and Chris and, you know, we've now got, you know, a couple of young guys coming through and, and then with, you know, Ryan Sissons and Tony Dodds and then further down we've got, you know, an under-19 athlete coming through now and Sam Ward. So, it, it is, has been working, but we need more than one or two coming through, and that's you know without um, without some planning and, and some um, and a, a, you know strategy behind it, we're never going to get there. We'll always just have those ones and twos, and ones and twos in the moment don't cut it because you know you get one of them injured and we're down to you know one and none. So 
how do you bring these people through? I mean, it's a long, complex process, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of the things that we've learned over the last four years is you, you cannot bring them through in a four-year block. You know, we, we're now planning you know, eight, ten years out, and we know, okay, someone who is you know, ten years out, we, well, they're performing at a certain level and they're 17 years old, we can say, well, okay, you're actually in the pathway to, you know, to possible metal. So we, we can identify who we, who we invest in. And we've tried to communicate that through in the last couple of years, and it's we think it's only natural and fair that the athletes know. Look, if you know, this, you have to run this fast, you have to swim this fast, you have to be able to finish in this position before you are even in line for our podium in 2016 or 2020. It's definitely um, it's a lot tighter. It's been tough, you know. Some of the athletes, you know, the, some of the hardest conversations you'll have is with an athlete that you know you've been working with for quite a number of years around um, developing them and all of a sudden you've got to make a, you know, look, you, you know, it's a hard choice to be made, which is one of the hardest things for a coach to do. What kind of pressure is on the likes of Ryan Sissons, Tony Dodds and Clark Ellis perhaps to, to step up in, in the absence of Chris and Bevan? Yeah, well, there's massive, massive shoes to fill with Bevan in particular and, you know, Chris has, you know, he's been a star performer for so many years, you know. So those three guys you've named are, you know, definitely they're they're not there, and uh, you know I don't think I mind me saying that because um, yeah the results say they're not there. So they've got to look at what they're doing at the moment and um, you know look at the results and, and really work on getting up there. So it's going to be a big ask. The other thing we do have is it looks like likely that we've got a team relay event. So there is a secondary focus for them, and you know perhaps they can you know they they actually all fill the team's um, requirement as do some of the other young kids in the squad team requirements very well and they complement our you know our top woman so there is an opportunity there for them to progress through the sport and and you know obviously if they're progressing through the sport in a team relay or whatever it's, it's directly you know it's aligned perfectly with with the individual um, development around you know their weaknesses and, and so on so planning around what their individual weaknesses are you know they they match up with the relay perfectly so it's, we're fortunate in that case Tell us quickly about the relay. It's possibly a new event that's coming through, and, and everybody runs. Is it a shorter course? But they all do the, the full three events, don't they? It's four-person team, so it's two men, two women. The order is set, and it's uh, woman, man, woman, man. So it's everyone's the same. There is a bit of strategy about where you place your strengths and weaknesses, and when you play your, your ace card, or you know, in our case at the moment, it's Andrew Hewitt. So when you play that sort of card and, and in the positioning, it's, you know you can put it in first if you want to sort of set up from the beginning. But the the course itself is um, over around 200 meter swim, five to eight k bike, and a sort of one and a half to two kilometer run. So and they all go through it individually. Um, tag the next person, and the next person goes. So it's pretty exciting. That sounds like it's built for television. It would be exciting. It's awesome. Like the athletes love it, and the coaches they just love it. You know, it's just full on for around an hour. Um, yeah, it's it's just over an hour and a quarter. So is it a definite start? It'll be an Olympic event, won't it? Yeah, it's pretty certain. We're just working through the, you know, with most of the events for, for Rio. It's ticked a lot of the boxes, but it's got to go through the final selection. Um, and it's a definite starter for Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. So, you know, we're focusing around that. And, um, you know, so we've got a now strategy around, you know, how to podium in, in Glasgow first. Because, you know, even though um, you sort of think there's a lot of countries missing from the Commonwealth Games um, in our sport, all the top countries are there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be a challenge. In the women's field, of course, Debbie's retiring, and, and your top competitor and, and, and our best woman for a long time, Andrea Hewitt, she's 30. And I think she's intending to compete at Rio. She wasn't quite confirming that to me last night, but I think she is. But that, surely that would be her last games at, at 34. 
how's the current depth in the, in the Kiwi woman? Um, there's, there's some good young girls coming through. Like we've got three um, first time for a long time. We've got three under twenty threes, which are you know they're they're actually very very solid athletes, and they've got a fair bit of experience. Two of them have been racing on the on the you know, international scene for the last two years. And the other one is um, Sophie Corbridge has been you know studying, and but has been you know did this race last year and, and had a great race last year for for the level she'd been racing at. So you know we've, we've got some girls coming through, and then we've got Michaela coming through in the under nineteens, and she's really probably you know she already she's running at a level that is you know at the very best in the world you know she's she's got a little bit of swim weakness but um she's definitely uh you know we've got some good ones coming through but not many and that's that's what we've got to address well michaela nelson she's the defending under 19 world champion so surely she's the best at that age right now yeah definitely she'll be going as a to defend a title on sunday she's an amazing athlete she's actually new zealand cross-country champion running senior woman about a 17 year old well she's now 18 but um and she's you know she's i think she's third in the road race in the senior woman's road race so she's she's an exceptional athlete um she does have a little bit of a swim weakness but on this course it can you know she can make up and she's it's one of the focuses it's one of the gaps we've identified and we just like you know all our focus on Michaela is pretty much sort the swim out and, and you know we've got a we've got a podium athlete for 2020 perhaps and Greg Frain will be able to focus on his core role as national coach after a new high-performance director role was created, which has been filled by the former British high-performance man Graham Moore, who starts in December. And this is Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. The Tennis World number 4 Agnieszka Radvanska was this week confirmed to play the end-of-year ASB Tennis Classic in Auckland, becoming the equal highest-ranked player ever hosted by the tournament. Poland's Radvanska reached a career-high ranking of World number 2 this year and won three tournaments as well as finishing runner-up to Serena Williams at Wimbledon. Radvanska is the highest-ranked player to play the tournament since Elena Dementieva in 2009. Myself and fellow Radio New Zealand sports journalist Richard Wayne spoke to the tournament's director Carl budge about Radvanska's signing. He says while the ASB Classic can't compete with some of the big money events in Australia, the Auckland tournament appeals to the players in other ways. We're thrilled uh, to have you know, someone that's uh, at the peak of her powers. Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to bring them out here when they are playing well, playing consistently and you know, something we're, we're really thrilled that I think Kiwi fans will be uh, over the moon to see someone of Radvanska's quality. And a non-screamer, how important is that in your decision? I <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't come into it to be honest, but uh, yeah, there, there are some very of that also. Yeah, we were, I was thinking as a ranker, no, <laughs> please, I mean, great player, please. Oh, yeah, who knows, we bust out some of the Panasonic headphones to, uh, <laughs> to try and drown it out a little bit. <laughs> was it difficult to securing, um, you, you, it sounded like you've got some sort of um, you know, personal uh, connection there? Yeah, I've been lucky, I mean, I guess working for the women's tour for the last couple of years, I've travelled sort of week in, week out with these girls, and so certainly at the upper echelon you, you've got a relationship with most of them, which, which helps. It's nice to not only have to go through their agents, but to, to be able to go to them personally as well. Um, but look, yeah, she, she was pretty keen. It's, uh, she's heard a lot of good things about these tournaments and um, was pretty keen to get out here. So that's a, that's a great indication of, of how the tournaments are viewed internationally. How thrilled are you that um, you know, she's not going to the likes of Brisbane, that she's coming here instead? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's brilliant for us to have you know, a number four player in the world choosing us over a million dollars in Brisbane. Um, you know, we certainly have to work hard and, and play up that, look, if you go to Brisbane, there's a chance you're going to draw Serena Williams first up or second up and you know, possibly going to Sydney, Melbourne, not feeling great about how you're playing. 
and the appeal of coming to Auckland is you know, come and get four matches under your belt and, and go over the ditch feeling pretty confident about how you're hitting the ball. Is that what she sort of indicated to you that maybe um, she should give it more tennis in if she played here? For, would definitely give it more tennis in? I think she was just thrilled to come out. She's heard a lot of good things. She's not been out here before, and so she was keen to come out and, and have a look and, and see something a little bit different. And you know, it's, uh, we're pretty pretty happy to have her. Of course, she'd be the favourite being the highest ranked player now. Um, uh, you'd be hoping that she sticks around for a few rounds. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, that that is part of the consideration as well. She's a, a player that turns up and, and goes deep in tournaments. And so, um, you know, touch wood, that, that continues come January. And just a word on her year, you, you said something about it being her best year. Could you sort of mention something on that again? Yeah, sure. So she um, she started off the year at number eight in the world, um, peaked at number two after her Wimbledon final, so went to the US Open as the second seed. Uh, she's won tournaments in Brussels, Dubai, which is uh, a pretty lucrative tournament that uh, that gets a really good feel every year as you can imagine and won what's known as the fifth grand slam the, the Sony Ericsson Open in Miami it's got uh, 64 of the best players in the world all there so you know, she's, she's had a stellar year and um, I think she'll go strength to strength and, and you know, a grand slam victory is hopefully not too far away for her Second time you've got a world top five player, will Auckland ever get a world number one here? Well, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, you know, we, we had good conversations with Rika. Um, she's, a, she's a great player. She's a, a great person as well. Um, she's confirmed to play another international level tournament in the first six months of next year, which means, unfortunately, she's not available to play us. Um, so it wasn't a financial... You know, we couldn't go after or anything like that. She'd simply confirmed to play um, another international level tournament in the first six months. And she's only allowed to play one per calendar six months. And what are we about, say, you in the sense of getting other top quality players to surround Agneska for the tournament? Yeah, look, I'm actually thrilled where discussions are at. Um, I hope we'll be making a few more fairly exciting announcements in the next couple of weeks. We um, announced to Heather Watson, the British number one. Um, will be joining us as well. Uh, similar to Aga, she's, she's had a wonderful year and won her first tournament uh, on the WTA Tour this weekend in, uh, in Osaka. So she's in, in great form also and it's been fronting the WTA's global marketing campaign. So they're pretty excited about her and it's a great get for, for New Zealand fans to see our real up and come on the tour as well. And uh, did she cost very much, Agnieszka? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's certainly um, an envelope been, been slid over her way but um, look, we're pretty happy that we're going to get good value out of, out of Aga the ASB Classic Tournament Director, Carl Budge. Organisers will spend $6.6 million to upgrade Pukekohe for a return of the Australian V8 supercars. The schedule for next year has confirmed that Pukekohe will host the fourth round of the championship on April the 12th to the 14th. Modifications to the Pukekohe circuit will include three new corners built near the end of its long back straight. The event was last held in Pukekohe in 2007 before moving to Hamilton. The promoters say work will begin next month on the upgrade to bring the circuit up to international standard with improved safety and corporate facilities. The V8 Supercars Executive Chairman Tony Cochrane spoke to the media this week and he says he's confident the Pukekohe race will pay back the $6.6 million invested in the event. With the upgrade here and the partnership forged between all the parties, uh, I think this gives us a, a tremendous home for New Zealand for many, many years to come. It's quite a big investment, isn't it, just for one weekend, so you're confident you'll get your money back? Well, we are. Um, we, we've Obviously, are. we've stepped up to the plate. We're underwriting the event, so um, if, if there's uh, any risk with the event whatsoever, it's uh, V8 Supercars Australia that'll be footing the bill. But I, I think you'll see next year, this is the 50th anniversary of this place as a racing circuit. Uh, we're going to stage a massive 50-year uh, celebration for all the Kiwis and, and uh, New Zealand motorsport in general. 
Uh, and I think given good weather, um, I think the place will be absolutely packed. Can you just talk us through the uh, the changes, um, I guess, down the back straight, the, the new track layout? What was the reasoning behind that and, and what do you expect to see when it's when it's done? Right, well, the new uh, layout has to be to FIA safety standards and uh, a terminal speed of our cars on that back straight was too great, so we put a series of, of turns in there, uh, which also, I might add, creates a fantastic passing opportunity. So uh, we think the fans will see an uh, even more exciting race circuit, and this is a great little circuit, no question. Um, so um, we've had to make a number of changes that are designed around safety uh, because safety is the number one consideration in our sport. Um, and as well, uh, of course, there's massive upgrades, brand new pit building, brand new race uh, control building um, and a number of major upgrades to things like toilets and track fencing and, and what have you. Tony, the, uh, both here and in Australia over the years, there have been the odd event that haven't lived up to the economic forecasts that were done for them. Is there anything about this the way this is going to work that you think makes it less risky? Oh, well, um, it, the fact that it's so close to Auckland, the fact that, you know, Auckland City uh, hotels will benefit enormously out of, you know, there's probably be two and a half, three thousand Aussies that come over for that weekend, um, really helps underpin uh, a per particularly a permanent circuit. Uh, street races are, are on a different level because of the enormous build cost each year. It's costs about $10 million to build a circuit each year on a, a, a street race and uh, you know some of those have been fantastically successful. Adelaide, Townsville, Gold Coast have all been fantastically successful. So um, you know um, that that's just part of motorsport. I mean if you look at the Formula One world calendar every so often they get challenged uh, with event uh, as every event does everywhere in the world. Um, but we think we've got the uh, formula right. Uh, we've, we've obviously stepped up to the plate here to be the promoter so if we've got it wrong um, it'll be our problem and, our, and we'll have to write the cheque. I know you usually talk about um, weekend wide attendances but as the promoter on the, on the big race day on Sunday on the final day what sort of numbers would you be expecting to turn up here on that day? Oh look I, I don't know because I haven't seen the budget but you know I would think we'd happily get 45,000 here on the Sunday and we talk about each day because we just like it. It's no different to test cricket. They don't just talk about the crowd on the opening day. They talk about the crowd each day. Uh, and people in our sport buy a one day or a two day or a three day ticket. So uh, you obviously count them each and every day they come. Unless I've got my years mixed up. Next year is when the new format comes in. The new that's correct. Yes. New car. Is that, the future. Is, is that likely to you know is it likely to make much of a difference to the interest in, in Pukekohe? Uh, absolutely, because you've got. Uh, Four manufacturers, we already know that joining Holden and Ford from next year is Nissan and AMG Mercedes. So, um, uh, and I would say by the following year there'll be a fifth manufacturer there as well. So clearly um, we've done a lot of research on this. Clearly our research shows that uh, the Ford versus Holden rivalry is still very much alive. But there is enormous interest in new manufacturers joining the championship. And uh, we already have seen with the announcement of the dates in Adelaide and their pre-ticket sales um, a lift on uh, the current year. So um, I, I would think that that would contribute just as much in New Zealand as it's going to in Australia. And for the scale of the event corporate involvement, does it, does it make it a bigger event than... The, the format as it's been to now? Well, we hope it does. I mean, we haven't tested that yet. Obviously, it hasn't started yet, but uh, clearly that's what we're hoping is the case, and uh, uh, indications are that uh, we already know Nissan have made massive uh, corporate bookings for next year, including here in New Zealand, so um, there's no reason why uh, that won't be the case. 
Tony Cochrane says there will be three international events for the V8 calendar next year with Pukekohe in April, the new Texas round in May, and a return to Abu Dhabi in November. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.